Welcome, everyone. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read some books this week. I watched a show this week. We are doing Netflix's Lupin. It looks like Lupin, but it is French. It is pronounced Lupin. It is ascending the Netflix charts right now. It was at number eight. Now it's at currently, as of this recording, it's at number two. It might be shooting for number one. This is a French series. It's the first one to hit the Netflix top 10, at least in the US. And we apologize in advance because we know nothing about it, which is why we're- Yeah, we, we, are, we are not French. Um, I'm, I'm excited to kind of do something like this. We haven't done any foreign language titles as of yet um, because this is, this is absolutely blowing up. If you know nothing about this at all, inspired by the adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Thief, Arsène Diop sets out to avenge his father's uh, life for an injustice inflicted by a wealthy family. And I just watched the first episode and a bit of the second, and I have a lot of questions because it seems as if there is a massive book series <laughs> that is attached to the inception of this. Taylor, I have so many questions. Thank you, everyone, for being with me. Taylor, please il illuminate us. So the thing is, a it's a huge property. Here are the stats on it. 17 novels, 39 novellas. Good Lord. I read two of the novella short story pieces, dozens of stories from other writers, like Sherlock Holmes in that vein, where it's ah. public domain and people are cribbing the character. So we'll get into some of that at the end. But in terms of other work, 23 films have been made, 11 TV shows, oh my God. animated and otherwise, five comics and mangas. So it's just a huge five plays also. Oh my gosh massive thing if you and this is something we'll get into when we talk about the show but if you search this and you're looking up google in the u.s if you type in lupin the first thing you see now is this show but there's also a ton of stuff about this japanese animated tv show but it's called lupin three so what happened oh i like that yeah. <laughs> but that's the only thing that really <laughs> we're gonna get to that and and what this has to do with sherlock holmes for all of us uncultured non-french people what is this huge property? I apologize for both of us. <laughs> In the show, we'll start first. It is not about the actual main character that the books and everything is based on. In the show, literally the book in real life is bestowed to this thief by his dad. So the official subtitle for the show, Lupin, is called In the Shadow of Arsène, meaning ah. he has been given this book in the show to sort of model his thieving attributes after. And then that's the premise of the show. Right. The main actor is Omar C. And he was also credited as the artistic producer on the show. Oh, really interesting. That's really fascinating. He's been in a couple things like Jurassic World, I believe, in uh, an X-Men. One of the X-Men has been one of the characters in that. So he's been on the up and up. That's fascinating that he's actually been on the creative side of this. That's amazing. So he actually proposed this to this production company that he was working with basing oh, yes. a project on Lupin. And he said, you know, it's something you had to know as a part of the culture. He was like, when they asked, what do you want to be? And he's like, if I was British, I would have said James Bond, since I'm French. Every, every French person knows this, according to him. You know, you grew up with it. And so, but a part of the show being, he's saying, we're putting a new face on what it means to be French today. The archetype has changed hmm. because it is a bit of a subversion of it with a social angle, since this is happening in 2020. I was definitely watching it with, with I guess, some velvet gloves because I'm like, I was asking myself, well, what is the, what are race relations in France? <laughs> what have they, you know, I started wondering about that in the middle of the show. Like, how much do I lean on America? Like, what, because I don't, I'm not going to pretend I know what that's like, but I'm like, it, 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 it is talking about this. No. <laughs> 
Definitely. And so it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, right? <laughs> race, class. Right, yeah. It's the questions of, oh, here's this six foot two black man sneaking around in high society and in the underworld. How is he doing that? What does that look like in modern times? Yeah. yeah. Playing the character is that. And then the other thing being passing things on from father to son, literally with the book in the story. But also the main uh, actor, Omar C., he has five kids. And so he's super interested in fatherhood. He's like, I don't know whether you're a good dad or a bad one until your children are grown up. Oh, yeah. His whole piece into the character. And then shot on location at the Louvre. I was just fascinated looking this up because I'm like blown away. I was like, they're not really here. Like they're, they're starting in. It's like, they're not, okay, okay, how much? And then they just like, they're full. I mean, it is all over the Louvre. It is amazing. <laughs> so I, right at, right then, before we ever, the book is ever seen on screen, I'm thinking, how do they have the budget to, to allow for something like this? Who, yeah. you know, I was like, what is this immediately? Just because of where they were, and I knew they were actually there, at least for some of it. I was like, there's no way that this is just standalone property. <laughs> well, yeah. So they filmed it at night, you know, at the Louvre. Uh, and it, it, the, I think Beautiful. what I realized snaps. for it. <laughs> snaps. Yeah. Was that, uh, right. was that it is such a big property of which we are ignorant. And so it's like, it does have, the Louvre is picky, but you can film there. I mean, the Da Vinci Code was filmed there. Wonder Woman was filmed there. Like you can't, you can film big films there, but I think because of right, the- but big, but big films. And that's right. exactly, even the the movies you just named, I'm going like, how does, how does something I've never ever heard of- Well, because this is a French here state. Because, exactly. Yeah. And that's what this I mean. That's classic. what I'm trying to put into context is kind of, it's like, oh, the moment I saw the Louvre, I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm trying to c- contextualize for myself what kind of property this is because I don't know anything about it. But just knowing that they're here, I go, this is not, this is not cheap. <laughs> this, right. is not, this is not just what some one-off. This is no standalone yeah. original. Already then I was like, wow, this must be huge. Here's the thing with like we talk about, it's such a big thing. Like I said, I mentioned all those other other media that it also was. So France mm-hmm. had already produced several TV adaptations and movies, like I said. The big wow. series that most people would know uh, aired from 71 to 74. And I was reading this article about it and they were like, you could probably sing the theme song if you were a kid in France at that time, because okay. it was also very family friendly. But the the thing that was most surprising to me, so now we get to the Lupin 3, the Lupin 3 thing. I love Um, The Japanese anime. So hugely popular in Japan. In the 1960s, there was a manga artist, Kazuhiko Kato, and he invented this grandson character. So that's where the three comes in. It's literally, he's the the third Mm. Arsene Lupin. And he had drawn this manga and it became the subject of several anime adaptations of TV shows over the time in Japan which is how it built in popularity in Japan. Okay. Um yeah. One of the one of the best pieces of it was a feature film that got made about it. It's called Lupin 3 The Castle of Cagolio Storo. Okay. <laughs> which is based loosely on one of the short stories came out in 79 notable for being Miyazaki's first work. No. Yes. No. <laughs> he was no. an animator, but this is his first film. This is his d- directorial debut. And so it's regarded as this incredible thing, but this is this amazing Studio Ghibli and all the all the films that come from that, but this is his first feature. 
is based on this property. That because, is absolutely astounding that Miyazaki is is connected. To, <laughs> that is blowing my mind right now. Um, yeah. If you're familiar with Spirited Away, Totoro, uh, any of those uh, those famous characters, this, this Miyazaki, this is uh, I'm now I've got to go back. Because <laughs> this is yeah, I, I'll post a link to the trailer. This is, this is yes. where yes, he's honing his sensibility. He's putting yeah. in a lot of stuff with the character that that then becomes very popular. So. Some other stuff across the pond was also cited as a major influence, this film that Miyazaki made on Pixar director John Lasseter. Yes. And even previous to that, so as far as Disney's concerned, there's a film that uh, the creators, The Great Mouse Detective, made, which is an allusion to Sherlock Holmes, which also ties into the Lupin mythology. But they were definitely paying homage to Miyazaki's film because this film, The Great Mouse Detective, the final Big Ben sequence of saving this girl on a clock tower is exactly what happens also in this Lupin three feature film. So what happens at the end of the great mouse detective is alluded to from this other film. And also in a way gave Disney back because it's 86. The next film that comes out is little mermaid because this one made double its budget. So this also kind of started the Disney Renaissance. Oh, wow. From (laughs) from right there on the forefront of the wave. Yeah, of the wave oh, wow. of like we talked about with Roger Rabbit. And this, so this comes out of Japan, inspires these people. They they take sequences from it that work, and then off we go. Oh, my God. And then in terms of the animated stuff and Japan's take on it, there was a CG animated film called Lupin Three: The First. Came out in spring of 2020. Highly regarded. I'll post a link to the trailer. But it won the animation award at Japan's Academy Awards. So, oh, my gosh. It's way bigger than we thought. This is incredible because I feel like I've never come across this at all. And it's so massive. I feel like Netflix makes me feel so small. Like I walked into the world of Coke and there's so many flavors I didn't know about. And people walk up to it like, this is my favorite. And I'm like, I can't, I can't read it. Like I, what is it? I don't know what it it, is. It's amazing. (laughs) I don't know. It's a, it's just, it's just making you, it's making me appreciate just the, the cultural differences yeah. um because you know growing up in 76 you would know the theme song <laughs> of the show you know that would just be a thing kids knew walk you know bouncing down yeah. the street you know like that it just being that kind of social fabric uh, yeah. is trying to trying to to judge that against my you know american upraising and it's like oh my gosh this the, the like i'm a horse with blinders <laughs> on taylor Lead me. The American and British probably followed Sherlock Holmes more. And then if you were French or, you know, Central South America, Japan, Lupin was your guy. This is amazing. So, so it, you, probably if you're listening to this and clicked on it, it's maybe you already know this. That's why you clicked on it. But hopefully we can get into Now we'll get into kind of the literature, the old stuff, where the new Japanese animation is, is even ripping from. So hopefully this is some of the stuff yeah. that if you click on this because you love it, you don't know where it actually came from. The author is Maurice LeBlanc. He created the character in 1905 and literally seen as the French answer to the certain British detective, Sherlock Holmes, almost an an inverse of him. The style of the books and the short stories is a term to impress your friends. Rocambole-esque, which Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're French, maybe that's a term that you use for something exciting, engaging, off the wall. It's any, it encompasses any type of sort of fantastic adventure story. There was a fictional adventure character named Rocambole from 19th century French novels. 
the genre that it falls under. That'll be my son's middle name. <laughs> and he will be very rocambolesque. Rocambol Russell. <laughs> yeah. It works. Um, but other name, Maurice LeBlanc. So what, what is his deal? He dropped out of law school, settled into Paris to write fiction at the end of the 1800s. He started writing this whole shtick at, the, at an editorial request because Sherlock Holmes was so no. successful. <laughs> and like we said with, uh, in our Enola Holmes episode about Sherlock Holmes, it started as a serialized right. magazine thing, as most of these things do. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> Here we go. I always like to look at the context of the time. Because yeah. 1905, this guy Maurice, I did the math backwards, he was 41 when it first came out. So hmm. he had been <laughs> known for nothing yeah. before yeah. this. And then this editor said, hey, can you do this? He's like, I've, I've never done anything like this before. They serialize it in the magazine. The first story. On the, we need a French version. <laughs> well, you can whip something yeah. up, right? 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 <sighs> yeah. So the first story is, which one of the ones I read, was published in July of 1905. It's called, and I love this, it's called The Arrest of Arsène Lupin. So it implies oh. that he's already a famous, successful character or person, and people know about him. And this is like... He's finally got that, caught. The presumptuous nature of the character, yeah. like, <laughs> like it establishes his, his stature already. Yeah. Oh so, an, a great, yeah, I'll post a link to the short story. It's really great. Uh, it fo- so the petition doth proceed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It follows this uh, steamship passenger Bernard. He's the guy narrating it. He's flirting with this woman. He's leading efforts because they got a message saying that this notorious thief Lupin is on the ship. So they're all trying to figure it out. Stuff is getting stolen. It goes crazy. The twist at the end reveals that Bernard is Lupin the whole time. And he had stolen numerous valuables while misdirecting everyone. And the detective is waiting in the port. And then he gets arrested and sent to jail. But it's just an amazing short piece implying that you already know this amazing thief. And he's the one that is like also pretending to be the detective trying to figure it out. And he gets, you know, but then, but then it's great because that's so much fun. It's uh, it's serialized. So it follows another thing because part two is Arsene Lupin in prison. And then part three is the escape of Arsène Lupin. So it's serialized, but they can also be standalone. Does that relate to the show at all? Because I feel that that feels like the you know like the first mm-hmm. one's a heist, the second one he's going to like I didn't even finish the second episode, but I know he's going. They start the episode with like, "What are you in for?" He's going to prison. I don't even know that that's <laughs> the, the, how they start the second episode. So yeah. he's going to prison in the second episode. Yeah, so I, I don't know how long he's going to stay there. Or what, but I. Um, yeah, I looked into a little bit more. The, the, the fifth story that he wrote is called the queen's necklace. And that is directly referenced in the show. And it's also, you know, interesting way about the class structure. So it's a necklace that gets stolen and the people who own it can't figure out who did it. They thought it was this maid servant lady that they had, but there's no way that she could have done it. She, uh, gets removed and then she gets money and mm-hmm. is very surprised by it, but tells the other people and they're like, well, I don't know where this money is coming from. And then it jumps forward way later and these rich people are still trying to figure it out and they've befriended this guy and he basically explains how it could have been done if it was a kid and didn't the maid have a kid and isn't there still a hole in the window and like all this stuff that he shouldn't know about it and that he, it's basically his origin story that he was the kid who did it and stole this necklace to help uh, his mom. Yes. And then has now become, and then in the news they say, oh, Arsene Lupin returned the mounting of the necklace, not the jewels, because obviously he sold them, but the where they were was in the news the next week that he finally gave it back. 
So excellent because the the conceit of the show uh, is that he uh, is tied up with the necklace that is in the Louvre, the Marie mm-hmm. Antoinette necklace that is, and in that's the exactly Louvre. this one. Yeah, yeah. Because yes, because his father years earlier had worked for the family who owned it and was accused of having stolen it. And and part of the conceit going forward in the show is, is he guilty? Is he not guilty? Mm-hmm. Because when he gets arrested and goes to prison, he does take his own life. And so that is the kind of the, the main motivator for the, for the main character mm-hmm. um, is get down to the bottom of his father's, you know, innocence question mark. Yeah. Um, but revolving all the way around this necklace and is it a fake? Was it, you know, <laughs> yeah. was it ever actually stolen? Is the, family just putting this on is very 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 interesting stuff unfolding um and i like i kind of like the the tie of of this necklace and kind of grounding it into into some historical roots definitely it definitely fits in with all the different stories of this but i I looked into it a little bit more because some people would say okay so he's trying to beat sherlock holmes the author is you know in having a, a story like this He's trying to do maybe a little bit slyly the opposite of Sherlock Holmes in that he's a thief and he's not helping the police. Right. Um, right. But I saw that it's also inspired at the time by what was going on in real life as well. Really? Um, yeah. So there was this famous anarchist burglar, if you can imagine that at the time. <laughs> <God>. uh, <laughs> 1905. Yeah. He, Did he have a great mustache. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I'll post a link. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Check our links, folks. You never know what's in there. Check our links. Uh, to Marius Jacob. And he had this strange moral code to his whole thing, uh, even though he's a famous anarchist burglar. And one of them being one does not kill unless it's for protection. And that's also part of the character um, that Lupin also never kills in the stories. The other thing being kind of in the Robin Hood way, he only steals from what he called social parasites. So like soldiers and the clergy and bosses and stuff, not from useful right. professions like artists and construction workers and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. And the percentage of the money goes to his anarchist cause. So this guy also was very clever. He had a sharp sense of humor. He was very generous to his victims, like an odd guy to be this famous burglar. But he had right. done over 150 burglaries with his gang of ne'er-do-wells from 1900 to 1903 in Paris and the wow. surrounding areas. This is an epidemic oh my God. at the time. And he was caught in 1903 when he killed a police officer in order to escape. So wow. he didn't break his rule, but it was not good. Went to well, court. What happened when he did? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> went, to, went to court two years later. So that's 1905 when this short story Here comes out. Supporters flocked to the city. He didn't get the death penalty, but he was condemned to forced labor forever. Um, but uh-huh. this was a whole situation in Paris at the time, so you could only imagine. Wow. And then also, just in terms of the idea of a gentleman thief themselves, burglaries, uh, there was an article that came out called Burglaries, the Latest Fashion at the time. It was, pub- it was published the same month that this story was published in a different magazine. Because at the time, I guess burglaries mm-hmm. were in, like criminals were becoming modern, using cars, disguises, cutting through ceilings. All of this stuff was at the forefront of crime right. at the time. So it was, it was big to have somebody who's a thief and then based on this guy. The big thing that I wanted to get to in terms of the connection, which we know, is Sherlock Holmes. Right. And even in The Queen's Necklace, the story, he says, quote, I do not claim to be Sherlock Holmes, the guy like describing <laughs> as if he knows that he did it. He actually writes Sherlock Holmes in one of his stories. 
Uh, he, he uses yeah. the character? He uses the character not to Arthur Conan Doyle's oh, wishes. God. So oh, it's, no. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the ninth story in the series, and it's called Sherlock Holmes Arrives Too Late, and he outwits Sherlock Holmes. Oh, my God. And Conan Doyle, like I said, had huge legal objections to it. Yeah. <laughs> so from then on, Sherlock Holmes appears. Like Tracy, in... Cha- Tracy Chapman just won that against uh, uh, Nicki Minaj. You can't oh, really? just take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. You can't just take people's Thing. intellectual property. You just and make fun of it in a way. And yeah, <laughs> like, like, the title is Sherlock was too late. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that didn't fly. So miraculously, though, Sherlock Holmes appears in four other stories. What? Um, but so, and this you're is not an gonna, outrage. But you're not going to believe this. All he does, he changes the name, and I'm not making this up. Herlock Sholmes. <laughs> Herlock Sholmes <laughs> appears in four other stories, <laughs> and Watson is Wilson. And, <laughs> and it's so, fr- it's so French. Anything we've covered. It's the most French <laughs> thing you can do. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, please. I th- this is beautiful. This Herlock so- Sholmes <laughs> foiled again. Yeah, but clearly, like I said, he's writing this in the aftermath of Sherlock Holmes being super famous, and they're like, "We got to get something to the press that's French and beats him at his own game." But there's a lot that he's pulling in terms of uh, various things, personality, appearance. We'll just get into some of them. So mm-hmm. he's like a mixture of Sherlock Holmes and Robin Hood. They both have huge intelligence to anticipate human behavior and deduce things. Um, they also mm-hmm. love disguises and that's a huge part of the show, but it's, it's, I would say more Lupin than Sherlock Holmes, though they both really utilize that aspect of, of, deducing and uncovering things both of them have and real quick real quick yeah, i just yeah. i love the way that the show set up uh, just dramatically how when we enter situations with expectations how is he because i know i know he's in on it but he's going into this as the guy and anybody and, and he's going along with it and he's getting beaten up it was able to subvert my expectations in just about every scene and in, in terms of you would enter into a scene and i would go like well how in the literally how in the world what is about to happen because based on what I know about these types of things, uh, he should do X, Y, or Z. And none of that's happening. It, it, mm-hmm. it, they, they were really, really uh, smart about how they were framing the action and what piece of it you were seeing when. I, I just wanted you to get that out there on, yeah. on terms of the filmmaking. It was really, really suspenseful in terms of of, of like, well, how in the world am I going to get to the next scene based on what, what I'm seeing the characters in place right now? Uh, wildly engaging on that level. Knowing the context now that we do of the first short story, it's called He's Arrested. You think it's the detective trying to figure out who did it, and it's literally him. So it, it I feel like it follows the same flavor and color of the short stories and the novel. Yeah, it feels, it's like, like, it feels like it does. It, yeah. it feels like it very much does. Yeah. And part of that, along with the where Sherlock Holmes fits into all of this, the look of Arsène Lupin was... He's got this top hat and monocle, and I believe that's even on the book in the show. That's like his right. thing. Okay. Now that you say that, I understand that to be what is classically him, the character. Mm-hmm. But I did not. That did not exactly. That wasn't. I didn't take anything away from. But I do now remember seeing the image on the book. Yeah, absolutely. But in all the ad, in all the adaptations and all the other TV shows and stuff, that's he's got the top hat and monocle. But interestingly, in a, in a similarity to Sherlock Holmes, so we talked about Sherlock Holmes and how he got that look from the stage play that was put on. Right, yeah. And the 
illustrations. Like Very it's late. not actually, he doesn't have yeah. the, the coat and the pipe and the deer stalker hat and all of that stuff. So right. in October of 1908, the play Arsene Lupin opened in Paris and almost similar to the Sherlock Holmes where the guy played it for a long time. This guy played that role until his death in 53. And so oh, he put on the monocle, the top hat, the white gloves and the cane, but that was yeah. not featured in any of LeBlanc's stories. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, it's almost exactly the same as Sherlock Holmes where it's like, well, we don't say this, but that's just how he became from literally from the same thing from the play version is where we get the physical attributes Oh, wow! of the look. And then the question I had of the gentleman thief or lady thief persona that he inhabits, you know, mm-hmm. the impeccable manners, avoiding the use of force. And really the motivation is the huge thing, like the thrill of the act, stealing, challenging objects, correcting, you know, some injustice, very right. counter to Sherlock Holmes, figuring it out. Was this the first criminal with a code? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was this the first kind of take on that? Um right. And I found that it was for France, but there is another earlier one mm. that I saw, and the character's name is A.J. Raffles, and it is a fictional character from 1898, so it precedes it by a bit. Okay. Um, yeah. E.W. Horning is the guy who wrote it, and he was the brother-in-law of Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, yes. Which seems bizarre. <laughs> it's all in the family. So this, uh, he's an expert thief. He's a master of disguise. He even... In the opening of the first book, he says, to ACD, this form of flattery. So he knows he's copying from Sherlock Holmes. Um, right. But so he's, is- yeah, he's kind of gone that wave of like, I want to answer Sherlock Holmes with the kind of the antithesis of that, but it doesn't get the traction that uh, right. eventually Lupin does in just a few years. In France. Yeah. This is this is strictly to Britain, but this yeah. is the origin because, of this type and of And that makes sense too, because if he's coming out of Britain, then we're already, it's confused. So we're going to infight? Wait, so, so what <laughs> character would we like? So then it makes so much sense for somebody also to be answering the the character of, uh, of Sherlock Holmes, but to answer it from another country. And that's why it takes traction because they actually get to get to actually have some agency in that character mm-hmm. as a yeah. country and as a culture, which we already covered. That actually makes a ton of sense. Yeah. But he, it, he was still very popular in the time. And for example, like he was used in at least 47 different newspaper articles in comparison to real life thieves from 05 to 39, where they'd be like, you know, exploit of a raffles or female raffles strikes uh-huh. again, kind of thing. Like he was in the public consciousness as yeah. a fictional character where you'd where you'd compare real life situations to his type of stories. The interesting thing that I saw, which makes okay. it so circular that we find, is Raffles continued. So we talked about with Sherlock Holmes how he had this, what they call the great hiatus, where Arthur Conan Doyle was like, I don't want to write this for like nine years or something. I forget exactly what it was. But he yeah. killed him off and then brought him back and then continued later. They rebooted it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The interesting thing that that makes it circular is that Raffles continued during Holmes's great hiatus. So uh, his brother-in-law continued to write these gentleman thief stories, and in one of them, <laughs> Raffles fakes his death and returns again. Which Arthur Conan Doyle was inspired by Raffles' oh, return no to life, and so he had a similar thing. And then a lot of the stories, I don't have the exact things, but like certain Sherlock Holmes stories were inspired by Raffles's situations as a thief. That's amazing that the Raffles reverberated through Sherlock Holmes and into the, into the, <laughs> the great secular mind of just character. Yeah. Um, that's, that's uh what in the world? 
What yeah. little window did you just find through here? <laughs> this is bizarre. This is amazing. Yeah. This is, and every time it feels like every episode we're, we're we're going back. Look back at this. Look back at that. And when we talked about this, then when you saw that, uh, no, I, I'm small world. I, this yeah. is, it really is Arthur Conan Doyle. Well, and the last the last similarity I have between it's it's not no longer between Holmes and Lupin, but it's between the two guys, Conan Doyle and Maurice LeBlanc, the two writers. So uh, Conan Doyle disregarded his success in crime fiction. Like he always remember he had more lofty goals. He wanted to write novels, but he couldn't get away from this character. Disappointment too. <laughs> yeah. He tried to so it's the same thing with LeBlanc. Like he tried to create other characters. It never caught on. He wrote two science fiction novels, but then went back to Lupin. Same thing as Conan Doyle. There's a quote from LeBlanc. He said, It's tough. Lupin follows me everywhere. He is not my shadow. I am his shadow. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, no, I get I get that. It's like John Carpenter didn't want to be known for horror. He wanted to make westerns. Yeah. I'm not sweet. No. Just <laughs> <laughs> but if it works, it works. And so his last hey, it yeah. is what it is. That's life, baby. Yeah. His last book of Lupin was published in 1939, and then he died mm. shortly after. But this I, I again I go down the rabbit hole and find this madness. There was an av- another novel, a secret novel. Yes. Yes, um, yes. It yes. was written in 36 and he just never told anybody about. It was found <laughs> it was found by chance in 2011. His, what? His granddaughter. She said, "Quote, on top of a cupboard in a beige shirt with rusty hooks." She just like <laughs> found it in their old house up on a cupboard somewhere. And then it got published. Nah, she wrote it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's incredible. That's a, that in 2011. Yeah, published in 2012, but it was written in 36. It wasn't his last book, but it was just up in a cupboard somewhere. Not, we found one, folks. <laughs> so his legacy is even more recent. God. But amazing. That's all this stuff that we're oblivious to. We think Sherlock Holmes, everybody else thinks Lupin. Yeah, really. I mean, now it feels like Lupin almost like eclipses it to to, to like, in a way. Like, I mean, I think it's cool too. Like, I mean, it's definitely cool. I mean, in terms of cool factor, this gentleman thief, uh, the disguises, watching the show, one comparable that was just com- just continuously coming to mind. And Taylor, you're like this because I know we're yeah. both the fans. But we catch me if you can. If anybody out there has seen that or not, go check it out if you haven't. I thought that to be a, a wild comparable. Also based um, on a book. Also based on a book. So it was a real. This guy was also a real a real guy. Um, and the relationship with the father and the fatherhood, uh, showing them the life of of, of criminalization. Maybe the life on the run, living as this suave character, this womanizing character that has a little bit of a code, and he's always thinking in and out of places. I could not help but. Th- but think of Catch Me If You Can mm-hmm. the entire time. I guess that I would be missing in this show the the uh, hand ratty, uh, you know, cop chasing part of it. But perhaps I, I don't know what else is yet to be. There will be. Yeah, show. there's a detective. Yeah, I figured. Character. Yeah, <laughs> I figured. Uh, yeah, see, that's how these things go, folks. That's what I'm saying. If you were to make a Catch Me If You Can into a show, I think structurally it would look something very much like this. Yeah. Um, but that's something I, I couldn't help but think over and over again. It's like, my God, he's like a regular uh, uh, Abagnale. <laughs> and Netflix Frank said, Abagnale. Netflix said for this show, there is, because it's bizarre, we had talked about before the show that it's only five episodes. But they're, they're, they do have another five, and they will put it out. They are. There are five, there are no, there's another five locked and loaded? Yeah, yeah. My God. 
Okay, that's interesting. That's so interesting because five episodes is not a typical number for a season. They certainly have a wealth of material to to keep it keep it running. And if it's about to take number one on Netflix, baby, yeah, this was a lot of fun actually. (laughs) Um, It it was fun to kind of go on a little bit of a heist, a little bit of Ocean's Eleven's kind of in and out of Robin Hood. My gosh, yeah, Robin Hood in the Louvre. (laughs) Super cool. Yeah. Well, let us know if you already knew all this stuff or if you have been, you know, you were a kid in the 70s in France and loved the. Yeah, we would love to know what that experience was like. If anybody's out there, please, uh, please get in touch with us. And you can do so at Illiterate Pod on Instagram, as always. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everyone. Catch you next week. Mm